0: Hello friends, welcome to episode 955 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you now on a Tuesday morning, deep into the night here after the Hawks lost to the Clippers. This evening in Los Angeles, a pretty brutal result for Atlanta. We'll get into that momentarily. But this episode is also brought to you by Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app from the iOS app store. If I want of our Locked on Rooms, Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. So obviously, most of the podcast today will be talking about the Clippers game and the way that it ended more than anything else. The Hawks led by 22 points in the second half, only to lose um, basically with a collapse in the fourth quarter. Um, Certainly aided by the Clippers getting red hot at the right time, but a pretty bad loss in some ways. Big picture, losing to the Clippers by nine on the road isn't the worst thing in the world. But when you lose the way the Hawks did, obviously, it's a lot more difficult to take. So we'll dive into that momentarily. I do want to spend the first few minutes here on some trade rumors uh, here at the top of the podcast. Obviously, the deadline is this Thursday, and there was a lot that came out. So before we dive into the game, if you don't like trade rumors, you can flip forward if you'd like to. Um, But the first few minutes here will be on the trade market. So I wrote about a little bit of this stuff as well on Monday, but there was lots of little tidbits. Nothing that I would say rises to the level of like a five alarm fire at this point on the market. Um, But considering how close we are to the deadline and how active the Hawks seem to be at this moment, it's a good time to sort of take stock about what's going on here. So we'll start with some John Collins stuff. Zach Lowe of ESPN wrote on Monday that he would place the odds of any John Collins trade as, quote, something like 70-30 against, meaning that it's more likely that he stays in Atlanta. I'm not surprised that he would say this. Um, Adrian Wojnarowski has said similar stuff on his podcast and also on TV. Um, there are plenty of people that are plugged in that are leaning towards it not happening. That's definitely noteworthy to me. Lowe also said that the Hawks are, quote, hell-bent on making the playoffs, end quote, and they will not shoot this roster in the foot in exchange for future assets unless they hit an incredible jackpot, end quote. So, high asking price there. That kind of sets the tone for all this stuff. Obviously, Collins is the most prominent name on the market right now, and uh, I would echo this. Obviously, I'm not ruling anything out, but if you had, as I said yesterday on the podcast, if I had a guess, I would guess that he stays put. But there you go on that. Uh, Chris Haynes of Yahoo also wrote that the Hawks are, quote, becoming increasingly reluctant to move Collins before the deadline, end quote. And he said that they're not thrilled with the offers on the table and also doubles down in saying that ownership wants wins, and that's what's taking place with the Hawks right now, so another national source kind of leaning in that direction. Elsewhere, there were some guys that are now linked to the Hawks that weren't officially before. Shams Harania wrote that the Hawks have expressed interest in Boston Celtics guard Marcus Smart. And no details beyond that. That's important to note. There wasn't a sort of a thin report, but it was out there from Shams, who's obviously a major um, newsbreaker. Um, Smart's very good, of course. He would help the Hawks, but it would be interesting to see what the price would be. I think Boston, from all that I've ever heard, values him quite highly, so I'm sure they would ask for a lot. Boston's been linked to Collins as well, but their assets are not necessarily too appealing outside of Smart. Um, it was kind of funny. There was some reporting from The Athletic on Monday that the Hawks I guess maybe tried to get Jalen Brown in a Collins offer and um, I'd be stunned if that happened. And obviously that was uh, pushed back on by them. In fact, the athletic report that, that the Celtics asked for both Trey Young and DeAndre Hunter in exchange for Jalen Brown. So that tells you all you need to know. Obviously that is a ridiculous ask. Uh, I would not even trade Trey for Jalen Brown, but um, that kind of tells you where that is going to be and probably not going to be happening. Jalen Brown to Boston, sorry, to Atlanta from Boston. I'm not sure what the real asking price would be, but um, that's kind of where we are on Boston stuff. Um, as you might have seen in the feed earlier today, I recorded a crossover with Wes Goldberg of Locked On Warriors. It's actually, his show, but it's on my feed, um, sort of duplicated as a crossover episode. But we talked about the Warriors a little bit, and that comes as a result of Sham Sarania also reporting that the Warriors have shown have shown interest in Bogdanovich. Not a huge shock, I guess. Similar lack of detail there. We did talk about this a little bit with myself and Wes, but Kelly Oubre almost has to be the salary to move That if that's a two-way deal between the Hawks and the Warriors. And I can't really see that happening, honestly. You know, Bodanovich is better than Oubre and signed for longer. We talked about it a lot with Wes, so if you if you want more on that, that's now available in the feed as sort of a crossover on that particular topic. And then finally, Shams reported that the Hawks are expected to show interest in Lonzo Ball, which kind of means they haven't yet, according to that report. But I did say this briefly yesterday, but Kevin O'Connor of the Ringer reported a similar thing about the Hawks having interest in Lonzo. Um, Like anything, it would be about what the price is at the end of the day. There's no details there from Shams on this one. O'Connor brought up Cam Reddish as a a potential uh, asking price for the Pelicans. Um, Lonzo isn't as good as Marcus Smart right now, but he is younger. He would fit well. Um, It's a lot of money, though, coming for Lonzo. He's going to be in the same spot as John Collins, where he's sitting restricted for agency and asking for a bunch of money. Um, Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report also reported that the Hawks have made both Bogdanovich and Reddish available on some level, and he actually linked them to Norm Powell of the Raptors, as well as, I guess, leaning into the Hawks as a potential suitor for Victor Oladipo, but nothing definitive on any of that stuff. And also Joe Varden of The Athletic reported that Reddish is available in trade, but no details there. So lots of stuff to get through there, nothing like terribly that I'm going to dive into all the way. But it is certainly interesting to me that the two-guard position is the spot of most of these rumors. They're, outside of Collins, it's basically all these two guards, from Lonzo to Norm Powell to Marcus Smart, etc. Um, and obviously, the Hawks paid up in a big way for Bogdanovich in free agency just this last summer. Now, you, know, you could argue that they maybe um, wanted to just get the asset and get some money under contract and maybe flip them later as part of that idea. Um, or you could say that it's a little bit strange because the Hawks have Bogdanovich... Herder, and even Reddish, who plays a little bit of the two, his own self. I think he's more of a three, but still, those three guys are all pretty interesting pieces, and to be talking about two guards is pretty interesting overall. Um, That's the latest for now. I wouldn't panic on anything just yet, but I wanted to sort of run through all of the rumors that were out there. Again, nothing has ro- risen to the fact of, like, really heating up, and it's silly season right now. Like, there's all co- I mean, if I tried to list the rumors, I know uh On Prime, <laughs> Nate Duncan and Daniel LaRue, I've been on that podcast several times, they did a rumor show today that was, like, an hour long, and it's just endless right now. From The Athletic, from ESPN, from Bleacher Report, there's from The Ringer, all these different places, and they all have very, very long columns. Like, Zach Lowe's column has tons of stuff in it from today. So just keep that in mind. It's not just the Hawks... There's stuff happening all over the place and stuff is going to be reported in the next few days. Nothing that I've seen so far is like full-blown, like, let's dissect all this because it's going to happen in the near future because we're not quite there yet. So keep that in mind. Be patient. If anything anything crashes on Tuesday, I will try to jump in in as fast as possible with, with a new podcast. But that is the latest on the trade front. Okay, before we dive into the game, which was obviously a frustrating one, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. And the first one is Locker Room. Locker Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download and once you're in, you can talk with fans, athletes and insiders in real time about your favorite team or your favorite sport. Locker Room is the perfect place to start and join conversations about the league and you'll find fans just like you in Locker Room for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, of course, reacting to all the biggest news and rumors. You can even find Locked On hosts across MLB, NBA, and the NHL, including some of our big-name folks. In fact, I know for a fact the Hollinger and Duncan podcast has been on there, um, recording live, and then sharing that on their podcast platform. All kinds of our hosts are up and down the channels. You can find them in the Locked On rooms, and you definitely should go ahead and check that out now. In fact, go download the free Locker Room app, currently available on all iOS devices, and be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join any of the conversations about the NFL, MLB, and NHL, in addition to the NBA, for all the latest league updates. I know you'll find incredible rooms about your favorite teams in your leagues, and I'll be sure to let you know once there are even more rooms going on for the Locked On team. Download the Locker Room app today. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. Today's show is also sponsored by the good folks at rockauto.com. One key reason to repair and maintain your own car is to save money. You can use it for other important things like paying the mortgage or paying for food or whatever else you want to use it for. And honestly, why would you want to pay more money for the exact same auto parts at a chain store or a new car ship when you instead can use rockauto.com? rockauto.com is a family business, serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything you need, from engine control modules and brake pads to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet, whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver. Get everything you need, just a few easy clicks, delivered directly to your door. And best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always low, And they're always the same for pros and do-it-yourselfers so why spend twice as much for the exact same parts go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car your truck when you get there you want to write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you to them amazing selection reliable prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com okay with the deal stuff out of the way here at the top of the podcast it's time to dive in on what became a pretty frustrating loss obviously for atlanta by a final score of 119 to 110 for most of the day, it was pretty upbeat in Hawks land. Uh, first, because DeAndre Hunter returned in this game. That is obviously a very good thing, broad, broadly speaking, for Atlanta. Chris Haynes reported in the morning that he was going to play. Hunter was still getting a time decision, according to himself, this afternoon. But then McMillan announced he was going to play off the bench in limited action. He ended up playing uh, 21, yeah, almost 21 minutes in this game. That's pretty much his limit. And he, he did close the game, which is noteworthy as well. But uh, that's a positive sign. Even, even with a loss, Hunter coming back is the biggest story, probably. Big picture for this day, and uh, obviously it's good to have him back on the court if you are the Hawks. Um, you know, Also, this is a game in which the Hawks had their biggest challenge on paper in quite some time with the Clippers on the road against a team that had Kawhi and PG. This is sort of a sidebar, but Kawhi Leonard had not played against the Hawks since joining the Clippers. He's missed the last three games against Atlanta overall, and actually seven of the last eight against the Hawks overall. And he's not played in Atlanta. Obviously, this this game was in LA, but Kawhi has not played at State Farm Arena slash Phillips Arena since January of 2017, which is a pretty wild stat that Bob Brathman had on the broadcast, and yeah, there you go, pretty crazy there. But anyway, the point spread, according to our friends at BetOnline.ag, was the Hawks plus six and a half, so in the end, crazily, the Hawks didn't even cover in this game, despite leading by 22 points with 16 minutes to go. So, we'll dive in now to the nuts and bolts, and we'll dive in later to some takeaways from this game. So, at the outset, Clippers actually played well to start with, it was a 12-4 to run by L.A., They scored in the first four possessions. They did so pretty easily, and early on in this game, the Hawks defensively really struggled in the first, like, five, six minutes. Um, And and they actually had some foul trouble as well. Collins had two fouls in the first six minutes, and so did Herter. That brought in Gallinari and Bogdanovich in quickly, and LA led by as many as 10 in the first quarter. Um, From there, they kind of picked up the activity with Bogdanovich, Young and Capella having a nice little run. Um, Hunter then checked in after the timeout. Uh, midway through the quarter after missing, missing the last 23 games in a row. He was guarding Kawhi right away, so they kind of threw him to the Wolves. He looked just fine in his first stint, I thought. And uh, also of note, Okongwu played back up center in this game, and Knight did not play at all. And Okongwu was actually pretty good in his first stint, so that was a nice uh, return on investment there, and good to see him playing well. A couple of nice finishes, he had a put back right away, and then finished a lob from Trey on the next trip um, overall offensively. Hawks had a 9-0 run late in the quarter after Trey hit a 3, taking the lead after they had trailed by as many as 10. And then they only only down by one at the end of the first quarter, which is probably a win, considering how bad they started the game. And, uh, you know, with the way the Clippers were shooting pretty hotly in the first quarter. The second quarter, um, a nice dribble drive by Hunter that I wanted to reference. In the first minute, he drew a foul on that, showed some burst. Played seven minutes in his first stint and looked fine. Wasn't, like, super aggressive with the ball in his hands. Outside of that one drive, but still played fine, it was in the flow, and I thought played, you know, was not out of place, which is good to see. They came out to Collins... At center for a after his first pretty good stint, and he actually just smoked the Zubot-less, uh Clippers front court in the second quarter, just dominating the offensive glass. He scored eight points in a row at one point, and then a three by Tony Snell was 11-0 run by the Hawks to go up by seven, and they kind of kept pushing and kept pushing. It um, came back to the starters later on. They had an 18-4 extended run that included that 11-0 run to go up by 10. Uh, Kawhi then had a nice little stretch by himself. But then the Hawks had their had one more run coming, a 15-4 run late in the first half to go up by 18 before a three by Reggie Jackson cut it back to 15 at the half. So the Hawks went from up, sorry, from down 10 in the first quarter to up 18 late in the first and then up 15 at the half. And that was a 52-27 to 27 extended run by Atlanta, kind of just dominating dominated the game. This was certainly a game of runs if you uh, take a step back and just kind of reference it. But that was, that was one big, long one from the Hawks. Trey had 20 in the first half including 13 in the second quarter. Gallinari was plus 25 in the first half, which is crazy to see. And L.A. really struggled to score in the second quarter. They were 724 from the floor. Um, the Hawks actually had a good advantage on the offensive glass as well with 16-6 to 6 offensive uh, margin on second chance points. Um, and also, they, they played without Solomon Hill in the first half. That's something I want to come back to in a moment because the Hawks played 11 guys in this game, but it was 10 in the first half, 10 in the second half, and the change was a Congo in the first half and then Solomon Hill in the second half, And the Solomon Hill minutes did not go very well. It was not only on him, but he was not good, and that was a problem later in the third quarter. So, coming out of half, up 15, you're in a great spot. Obviously a little bit dangerous because Clippers are pretty good. But then the Hawks came out of the gate in the third quarter. L.A. misses three, Tony Snell makes a three, and then the Clippers call a timeout in 32 seconds. So the Hawks are now up 18, basically, almost at the half. Um, Clippers did sort of have their one little push there to get back within 12 but even then right right away Collins has a three-point play then Capella dunks Collins dunks and it's 19 again and that was a 12-3 overall run eventually you know LA pulled all their starters out that play got, that, that got a lot of attention after the game because it worked but Tyron Lue was so frustrated by their starters that they, they pulled a full line change pretty early in the second quarter to go to go to their bench and that ended up kind of keying things to the Clippers in a lot of ways but still the Hawks were cooking Early in the third, they scored 25 points in the first eight minutes of the second half. Um, They led by a final, they led by a score, not not a final score, but led by a score of 88 to 66 with about four minutes left in the third quarter. So up 22. At that point, you are a big favorite. The Clippers were a favorite coming into the game. They are good, but they had kind of just been really bad for like two straight quarters at that point in time. The Hawks are cruising and uh, then disaster struck from there. So the first salvo was a 10-0 run by LA, right after that, to cut the lead down to 12, and that definitely felt like it was a big moment at that point in time. Atlanta's offense just ground to a halt with their second unit on the floor. It was really, really bad, and the first half, it was actually fine. I thought Rondo was fine in the first half. Their bench was okay. They kind of made up some ground, Um, but the second half, it was pretty much a disaster offensively with the second unit on the floor, so that 10-0 run overall And then it became a 16-2 run overall to end the third quarter, including a buzzer-beating he by Luke Kennard, who was out of his mind in the second half of this game. And suddenly, the Hawks scored two points in the final four and a half minutes of the third quarter, and the lead goes from 22 down to 8. That's the first problem. Obviously, you're still in control on some level there, up by 8, even on the road. But 8 versus 22 is a huge difference, quite obviously. And they lost that quarter by seven points. The Clippers made six threes in the third. They just stay with the bench too long. I mean, that's not even like objectively, like hindsight or anything like that. In the moment, we were talking about this on Twitter. I know a lot of fans were. I know a lot of us were that covered the team. It was just they they stay with that lineup too long. Um, that full bench unit with Hill and Rondo, and they just could not get any offense going. And to score two points in the last four and a half minutes was pretty flagrant. It wasn't like they were just missing shots. It was just kind of really stagnant offense. There was some bad shot making too, but uh, it was not a coincidence. The Hawks just played very poorly. And with the way that the Clippers were heating up, it did not go very well. So, uh, then to the fourth. LA scores first to get within six. Um, there was a big, th- actually a big three by DeAndre Hunter that stopped the bleeding briefly. And he actually made a couple big shots in the second half. But then uh, Trey misses a deep three. And then Patterson makes one. That's a six-point swing, and suddenly it's a four-point game with 10 minutes to go. It was a 23-6 overall push by the Clippers. The Hawks did sort of reestablish things. Uh, Trey hit a 30-footer or so with about seven minutes to go to put the lead back to up 10, and uh, that felt big in the moment. I, I circled it. I sort of highlighted that. Um, also, there was a great recovery block shot by John Collins right before that that was a, felt like a big play as well. So after all that... The Hawks did stabilize. You're up 10 with seven minutes to go. You're in great shape, and then Luke Kennard just kept on coming, and then Kawhi came back in as well, and he was a big difference late. So Carm made another um, answer three. He made seven straight shots. Actually made all eight of his shots in the second half, which is just crazy. Um, and then Kawhi had a three-point play, and the lead is four with six minutes to go. So from there, some back-and-forth nature the rest of the way, but some pretty bad offense from the Hawks. Clippers going to run out, make it two. Hunter then misses a pull-up on a previous look. Um, Clippers did Clippers then tied it on a layup. That was a 10-0 run to tie the game. Um, they did, they did sort of go back and forth, back and forth from that point. Trey hit a deep three. And the Clippers just kind of left him alone in the, on the left wing, which is kind of a bizarre breakdown by LA. He did bury that one, but, uh, they fouled Kawhi. They just couldn't get a lot of stops, basically, at the end. One big sw- swing point in this game, I thought, was there was a nice pass by Trey Young to Tony Snell, who, who got blocked and then stripped. I thought he got fouled. Um, I couldn't see a great replay by the broadcast, but it seemed like it's a pretty clear foul alive. It was not called. That turned into a Terrence man 3 to put the Hawks down by 2. After all that, they were now trailing with 2.42 to go. That was a big moment in the game. Out of a timeout, Trey gets trapped. They have some nice ball movement, actually, but Donovan shoots a pretty bad... Um, I think it might have even been an air ball. Is a pretty bad miss. And then it goes. the ball goes out of bounds. They get the ball to Collins after the uh, inbound team misses. And then they lost Marcus Morris on a bad breakdown defensively for an open quarter 3. He makes that. It's a five-point game in the wrong direction. Then Kawhi blocks John Collins, which is not what you want for your big guy. Obviously, Kawhi is a freak, so it's not so bad, but that was a big play as well. And then Kawhi hits what was not necessarily a dagger, but was an absolutely massive shot. They they ran the, the shot clock down all the way to the, to the buzzer, basically. And then Kawhi hits a three over Collins, top of the key, to go up by eight with 123 to go. Um, they did score. The Hawks did out of a timeout. Trey got to the rim and scored to get back to six. But then right after that, Kawhi hit another three. And that was kind of a dagger to go up 119 to 110. And uh, that was the final uh, the final margin. So, yeah, I got out of the hand. We'll have plenty of more stats and all that stuff. But in general, the theme, as you if you saw this game, you would know this. If you're just listening to this after going to sleep, uh, perhaps in the middle of the game, you'll be frustrated, I'm sure. But the second half... Uh, got out of hand in a big way, starting with that second unit. And then uh, between Luke Kennard, Terrence Mann, Kawhi Leonard kind of going crazy in the fourth quarter, that was what uh, doomed Atlanta. So we'll have more on that in a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors. And the first one is Bet Online. Bet online is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. And while the NBA is the topic of this podcast, obviously there are all kinds of wagering options up and down the menu at BetOnline.ag. One of the main things right now is college basketball with March Madison full swing up in Indianapolis and a ton of games to check out in that space. In addition to that, you have the NHL, you have golf, you have tennis. Auto racing, MMA, whatever you like, you can find it at betonline.ag. And on top of the sports action, you can also wager on awards and TV shows and reality TV, entertainment options, up and down the board, you have all of those kind of things, and BetOnline also features real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. The prop market is are a lot of fun. Even if you don't have an opinion on the side of the total, the props give you another way to dive in on the action. And BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets. It's also free to sign up for an account. Head to the website right now at BetOnline.ag, or use a mobile device to sign up right now today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the site. Yes, it is a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, but you have to use the promo code LOCKEDON. One more time, that is promo code locked on for 50% more on your first deposit. but online, your online sportsbook experts. Today's show is also sponsored by Built Bar. For a long, long time now, I've been telling you that Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market, and that is still very much the case. In fact, it's the best tasting protein bar ever. It's amazing. It's low calorie. It's low sugar. High protein. High fiber. And it tastes fantastic. It also has 100% chocolate on all of its bars. And now. Here in the month of march is the time to find out which built bar is the best by checking out built bar madness you can vote every single day on a matchup between built bar flavors and today's matchup here on tuesday is between chocolate brownie chunk and lemon almond cheesecake i said it before but lemon almond cheesecake is one of my favorites so i have to put myself out there and just saying that's what i'll be voting for but if you have disagreeing opinions you can certainly weigh in on that at builtbar.com or at bar underscore built on twitter and from there, remember to use the promo code LOCK15, 15% off on your next order. That is LOCK15, 15% off your next order at And check back to see who won today's matchup and who will become the best-tasting protein bar. One more time, that is LOCK15 is the promo code. Check it all out at BuiltBar.com. And with that, we'll get into some takeaways from this game. Some numbers, some broad stuff, some look-ahead stuff, and all of that Fine programming on this Tuesday evening. And by the way, forgive me if this is a little bit incoherent. It is about 1 30 a.m. as I record this, so uh, hopefully everybody understands. But I have been eating built Bars to stay awake, which is uh, always fun. At any rate, um, the Hawks lead by 22 with 16 minutes to go. So that's kind of the big number to focus on here. From that point forward, it was 53 to 22 in favor of the Clippers. That is quite bad. So basically, this entire game can be boiled down to the two long extended runs Atlanta's was 52-27 in the first half, and the Clippers was 53-22 late. So that kind of evens out on some level, but the Clippers got the rest of the uh, balance in their favor. The crazy part is, and you know, I've, i got to be consistent with this, the Hawks were pretty unlucky in this spot late with the way the Clippers shot the ball. Granted, the Hawks did not play well at all in those final 16 minutes. Don't get me wrong, they played poorly, and that was a big contributing factor, but Lucanar and Terrence Mann had 37 points combined in the second half. They shot 14 of 19 from the floor after halftime. Kawhi had 11 in the last nine minutes, and obviously Kawhi is awesome, so that's expected, but Lucanar was perfect, 8 of 8 from the floor. Um, The Clippers were 13 of 18 from the floor and 6 of 9 from 3 in the fourth quarter. You can't expect that to happen. Again, there were some breakdowns in there, some open shots to be sure, but like Canard hits the uh, the buzzer beater in the third quarter. He had a couple of pretty contested shots. Kawhi hits a couple of contested shots that he can certainly make, but he made all of them late. And after halftime, L.A. shoots 57, 57% from the floor and 12-23 from three. So that's kind of gone, I would say, against Atlanta a number of times this season. Obviously, it hasn't happened in a while. It was more in the pre-McMillan era, but uh, this is the first time in a while that's kind of flipped on its, e- on its head Uh, against the Hawks in this stretch. And Atlanta in the fourth quarter did themselves no favors. They were 8-24 of from the floor in the fourth with no free throws. That's not good. Uh, There were probably two plays which the Hawks could have gotten fouled, or at least I thought they probably did get fouled. But even then, not as aggressive as you want to be. A lot of settling offensively in the fourth quarter. And it's hard to pull numbers specifically for the final four minutes of the third into the fourth quarter. But it goes without saying, you know, (laughs) 22 points in the last... 16 minutes is very bad on its own. Now, that's bad defense too, 53 points allowed, but even if the Hawks were playing better defense, they just could not score in the final 16 minutes. And the first part of that was the bench, but even starters, when they came back in, were not cooking. So, there is that. Um, elsewhere on the uh, broad broad spectrum, the Hawks ended up scoring plenty in this game. So, ignore the game flow, all that stuff, just kind of the overall product, 48 minutes, Atlanta scored almost 1.2 points per possession. That is more than enough to win. They shot the ball just okay. 54% true shooting, um, 45% from the floor, 35% from three, 12-16 from, from the free throw line, but only had seven turnovers for the full game. That is way lower than their normal average. That's big. They won the points of the paint battle by 10. They won, the off, they won the glass on both ends of the floor. So if you tell me coming into the game, the Hawks don't turn the ball over at all, and they dominate the glass, and they shoot the ball okay, you're in great shape, and offense was not a problem in this game. It obviously was in the last 16 minutes, but in the broad spectrum of this game, you score 110 points in a pretty slow possession, a uh, pretty slow game pace-wise. You're supposed to win that game more often than not, but defensively, uh, it was a mess. And like I just said, a lot of that shot making in the second half by the Clippers, and some of that was unsustainable. Obviously, Canard's shooting performance was wild, and Terrence Mann was awesome too. So credit to them especially especially man man was so good. I mean, Canard was just kind of just making shots. Man was like making plays and attacking the rim, doing all that kind of stuff and then Kawhi late. But Clippers ended up scoring uh 1.29 points per possession, which is terrible defensive numbers. Um credit to them and they're you know they were top 5 offense in the league, so that's not a huge surprise, but still pretty ugly. Um turnovers were only 8 for them as well. They didn't rebound very well, but they shot great. They shot 45% from the floor, 45 from 3 and then 90 from the line, so you're going to lose if that happens to you, and that happened to the Hawks in this game. And part of that was them on them, but even then, uh, what are you going to do? So those are the kind of takeaways from the game in terms of the numbers. Still a very slow pace. As much as it was crazy to see, uh, you know, 119-110 regulation is not like a low-scoring game. But once again, the Hawks have been playing glacially slow under McMillan, and that continues at this point in time. Um, all right, so the individual stuff in this game. Um, off the bench, <laughs> as I said before, the second half bench stint... Uh, at least the full bench stint in the second half was a disaster. Um and that came with Solomon Hill on the court. So Solomon Hill played five minutes. They were they were minus twelve in those minutes. Not all him by any means, but he was not a positive factor. Um he was 0 of one from the floor, got an offensive rebound, and that was it in his in his five minutes. I understand, I guess, the theory of playing him there because the Clippers went small, but I would not have played him there. They went very small, try to counter that, but the Hawks were winning at that point in time. Hill hadn't played the entire first half. He was probably ice cold. And, you know, with Hunter back, you just don't need to play Hill. I, mean, I kind of alluded to that earlier this week and that you you got to lose some guys from your rotation and Hill is pretty much the number one option to do that when when Hunter is back. And that happened in the first half and then they played him again in the second half instead of Okongwu. I'm not saying Okongwu was going to fix everything, but... I didn't love that decision, and it didn't work out very well. Um, elsewhere in that stint with Hill was Rondo, who I actually thought was pretty decent in the first half. He had a couple of nice flash, a couple of nice attacks at the rim, a couple of really good passes. Second half, he was really stagnant and was not good in that second half stint. He was on the fourth for that it was minus eight in his ten minutes. Um, that tells the story because the Hawks were uh, you know minus one with Trey, and that that includes the late part, the late part when they were going crazy. So there was actually a pretty big split before that. So it was sort of a tale of two halves for Rondo, but very bad. After halftime, Akongwu, uh, four minutes, four points, and a rebound. I thought he was pretty good. Um, again, that's it's one stint, but a nice, I would say, a nice building block for him overall. Uh, elsewhere on the bench, Bogdanovich, 22 minutes. He was just okay. He A couple of nice big shots in the first half, had one big one in the second half. 5-12 from the floor, two of seven from three, three rebounds, two assists, and a steal at 12 points, was minus one. He was all right. Uh, He ended up playing a decent amount with the starters in the second half but it wasn't like he was great but he definitely had some flashes where you can see that the Hawks really need him to be that guy and he flashed a little bit in this game. And then Gallinari, 24 minutes off the bench. He was better in the first half than the second like most of the Hawks were. 6 points 4 rebounds, 2 assists. Was plus 14 which is crazy in a 9 point loss but he was plus 25 in the first half so a lot of noise in there. But 2 of 9 from the floor 1 of 5 from 3. It's hard for him to retain value if he's going to shoot like that. Um, And that's kind of not breaking news, but um, the Hawks were still good with him him on the court in this game, though, so you can't really blame him too much for what transpired. And then Hunter, uh, 20 minutes, which is, I think, the upper bound of his minutes limit. I'm not sure if they even pressed him a little bit too hard because he closed the game. Um, McMillan said 16 to 20 minutes before the game, so that was kind of the upper bound of that, but... He was minus 16, which is actually game worse, but that was not necessarily on him. I think he looked a little bit rusty at times, just kind of clogging a little bit. But even then, like he had some nice flashes. You can't be concerned about anything that he did in this game, for the most part. He had 8 points, an assist, a steal, played fine defensively against Kawhi a couple times. 3-6 from six on the floor, 1-0-3 from 3. So it's just great to have Hunter back. I mean, there, there weren't a lot of positives from this game, or the way that it went, but Gunnery Hunter was awesome before he got injured, and it's great to have him back, so... We'll just leave that there for now, but uh good to have him, and we'll see if he plays even more potentially on Wednesday in Sacramento. Um, okay, to the starters in this game, a mixed bag here. Uh Kevin Herter was not good in this game. 27 minutes, minus 11, had two points, did have five assists, which was second on the team, had, had a steal, two turnovers, and um was one of six from the from the floor. Oh, only 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 got up one three, which is a little bit concerning. Um only one of five on twos, no free throws either. So I think he wasn't as bad as those numbers indicate, but was not a positive on those uh, on those numbers overall. And then the other four guys were all pretty solid, I thought, across the board. Tony Snell continues to just light the world on fire as a shooter. Thirteen points, six rebounds, thirty-two minutes. Was five-two from the floor, three of five from three. Another 6 percent night from three-point range for Tony Snell, who leads the league in three-point shooting. Still, uh, I, thought he, I thought he played well overall. He had the one um, sort of. Play, but I thought he got fouled on in the fourth quarter, but it probably ends up either a miss shot or a turnover, one of the two. But um, I guess it was a miss shot because he, he has no turnovers in the box score. But I thought Snell was pretty good overall. Click Capella, um, twelve points, fourteen rebounds, one block. He played a little bit less than the other starters, twenty nine minutes. Um, you know, I would have liked to see him a little bit more in the second half, actually. But it's a situation where his finishing was better in this game. He had a couple of bunnies that he missed in the first half, um, and I think at least one in the second half. But I thought he was. Fine. It wasn't like he was dominant in this game, but he was more, he was better than he was on uh, Saturday, and I thought he played well overall. Uh, and then Trey Young and John Collins both had great flashes. Uh, Trey finished the night with 28 points and eight assists, five rebounds, four turnovers. He was better in the first half than the second as well. He had 20 in the first half, only eight in the second half. Nine of 20 from the floor, five 11 from three, and five six from the free throw line. So it wasn't like he was he was pretty efficient. He scored enough. He had enough assists. I think defensively, he's been competing pretty well in this stretch. Again, not, not great, but I think notably better than he was early in the year, and I think his full season has been better than everybody else would have thought. But um, yeah, I thought Trey was pretty good. In the second half, though, he had a couple of bad forced shots that probably bit them a little bit. It was not all on him by any means, Um, but I think he was just better early than he was late. And then John Collins, I thought was great, again, in this game. He was minus 12, but that doesn't really that's not really indicative I don't think 28 minutes 23 points 7 rebounds had a monster block had five fouls too that was kind of the one thing that was keeping John off the court for portions of this game especially in the first quarter was the foul trouble but I thought he played like capital W well like he was just good in this game so I don't want to leave too much of that but uh yeah we'll kind of end there on the individual breakdowns and sort of the uh, analysis of this game in particular so last thing you know, broadly speaking, again, a loss by nine points to the Clippers. If you didn't watch the game and just saw the box score and just saw the score itself, you would have been like, "All right, there's nothing wrong with that." I mean, the, the Hawks were six one, six and a half one underdogs. Clippers had their guys. It would have been fine. But when you're up to 22 with 16 minutes to go, it's a lot more brutal. So, again, you know, the Hawks just won. Eight, the Hawks just won eight games in a row. So there's nothing to be upset about. Like big picture, right now, the Hawks just will playing really well. They're tied for fourth in the East. They're still, about, they're still about 500, and by the way, the easiest game on the trip is coming on Wednesday in Sacramento, so still a lot of positives, and on the bright side, the Hawks have outplayed the Clippers pretty soundly for three and a half quarters. Um, that's only like, you know, it's a, I shouldn't say three, two and a half quarters. Um, I shouldn't, you know, say that it's still the NBA, and you're, you're judged by wins and losses, but, you know, you could find the positives you if you would like to. I understand, though, wallowing in this one, especially if you were up late, as I am recording this very late on the... Uh, on the East coast into Tuesday morning here. So we'll leave it there for now, but the sky's not falling. They just kind of ran out of gas. And I still think the second unit sort of kickstarted this thing at the end of the third quarter and they played too long, but there you go on that. And we'll, uh, I'll stop talking now. Um, Again, last thing Wednesday is uh, the next game for the Hawks in Sacramento. The Hawks are off on Tuesday, as I'm recording on Tuesday. Um, If there is a trade, I will break in with a podcast But if there is not, I will not. So we'll see what happens between now and then. Maybe if there's a big rumor, I'll I'll pop in. But I basically did two shows today between this one and the the bonus episode with Wes Goldberg. So those are on the podcast feed. I am uh, flexible right now, so I will pop in if I need to. But the next podcast at the very latest will be after the game on Wednesday. And then we'll have much, much more after that because the trade deadline usually, not always, but usually... If a deal happens, it's going to happen on Thursday. Um, the majority of trades before the deadline happen on the day of the deadline. So that's just kind of usually how this works. Now that I say that, it'll probably happen tomorrow. But <laughs> um, we'll be here throughout the week. So please subscribe to the podcast. Please tell your friends about the show. Um, please follow me on Twitter if you'd like to, at btroll, or follow the show on Twitter, at Locked on hawks. And we'll see you at the very latest after the game on Wednesday.